Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 149. The Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, stop number four on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour and the penultimate event before the midseason relegation, was completed on Tuesday, April 11th and won by two-time world champion and defending event winner Tyler Wright and world title contender Ethan Ewing. All Australian finals with three of the four Aussie finalists riding surfboards made by Australians as well, which is very pertinent to the Visla CT Shaper Rankings update, which we will get into today. The next stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour is the Western Australian Margaret River Pro, opening its competition window up on April 20th. This is the final event before the CT fields are reduced by one-third, so there is a lot on the line in WA. The event will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right episode 149. We are back with my co-host for this season where we run through winners and losers from the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. We take a look at how the fantasy league is shaping up and dive deep into the current Visla CT Shaper rankings following the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, where Sharpie retains a narrow lead on the board builder field after a radical assault from Darren Hanley and the DHD team at Bells Beach, pulling them within 3,000 points of the current front runner. We also answer listener questions and had a lot of fun on today's podcast. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up here, boxing. All right. Here we are. The lineup with Dave Prodan. We are back today. We appreciate everyone's patience this week. And I'm so fortunate to have my partner in crime, my part-time co-host for the season, Mitch Salazar, with me. We are recording mere hours after the completion of stop number four on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. And it was a very good event for Australia. All the finalists, men's and women's, were Australians battling for the bell. And in the Visla CT Shaper Rankings news, the Australian finalists were writing equipment from Australian shapers as well. Three out of the four of them will, which we are going to be diving into shortly. But Mitchell, hello. How are you? What did you think of the Bells comp? Well, I mean, Dave, the, the surfing was impressive as always. Big props to all the local surfers for really stepping up at home. And obviously, I think we're seeing that local knowledge really play a factor into these two events that we have in the Australian League, both Bell Beach and Margaret River, which will be the next CT event. But I just feel like they really were able to demonstrate why they're capable of winning this event and why they've won it so many times in the past, too. If you look at the former champions, uh, Mark Richards on the men's side, Tyler Wright has won several times now, back-to-back in a row, and Sally Fitzgibbons has also won a multiple number of times, along with Stephanie Gilmore, too. So I just love seeing that. Um, great to see Ethan Ewing back on the podium, especially with the second win ever. And his second final, too. His conversion rate is great. Um, I think we're going to see some things shake up in terms of the rankings going forward, Dave. I couldn't agree more. Full pressure cooker. And I loved your point about Australians showing up at Bells Beach. I think we're going to get into that a little later in the podcast, too. But it's been a minute for them. And, and there's so many good calls from the commentary team on broadcast. And, and I think it was maybe Ronnie Blakey who said something about Ethan Ewing that, and it's a huge compliment, was saying that, you know, Ethan's approach, like, he, he is kind of everyone's surfer, everyone's favorite surfer of the tour surfers. Yeah. Like the CT surfers go, who's your favorite surfer? They're like Ethan. And he said something to the effect of he's developing such an iconic approach and style that he's he's elevating kind of into that current space of like, you could, you could be squinting, it could be very fuzzy, but you can just see where the arms are, see where the legs are, see how the person's moving across the water and be like, that's Tom Curran. And, <laughs> and Ronnie's point was like, man, Ethan is getting to that stage, yeah. which is really, really wild when you consider how good the talent is on tour. Well, and how young he is too. Um, mm. You know, we're talking about somebody in his early to mid 20s, he's 24 going on 25. And we had seen him fall off tour before after his rookie season. And I remember that season, he was dropping nines almost every heat, but he just wasn't able mm. to back that thing up. 
Now it's the complete opposite. If you look in most of his heats, he's converting waves that are sevens and are eights, but he's waiting for the best waves in these 30, 35 minute heats. So his patience is there. He's obviously showing that he's maturing a lot more and he's capable of winning events. He's won an event last season. And now within stop number four, he's already got his first event win this season too, Dave. Absolutely. And then enough cannot be said about uh, Tyler Wright, you know, going back to back at Bells, as you said, and she looked untouchable, both, both physically and mentally just looked so, so sharp. And I thought a lot of the other women battling against her, you know, Molly, Steph, you know, Carissa, um, a, a lot of the other women at the pointy end of the draw looked awesome as well, both at Bells and at Winky Pop, but Tyler just elevated. So we're going to get into it. We are going to uh, start today's podcast with our celebrated segment, Winners and Losers from the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. And uh, I, th- I told producer extraordinaire Miguel uh, Clemente, we should get like a lineup coin and flip <laughs> to see if we're going to do winners or losers first. But maybe we'll do that next time. We're, we're going to start with uh, our losers. And Mitch, why don't you go first? Who, who's your first of three losers uh, from the Rip Curl Pro Bell Beach? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Jack Robinson in this case. Uh, mm-hmm. He was leading the rankings going into the event. Obviously, a really hard event in terms of predict, uh, prediction. You know, the forecast is always difficult. The Bell's Easter weekend, there could be a lot of bad weather, and there was. Started the event off at Winky Pop, surfed well over there. Leandro had a good game plan going into Bells when it was big and stormy, but he ends up losing to Xavier Huxtable, the local Mm. surfer that got a trials win, made it into the main event, and scrapped his way through into the round of 16. So we're seeing young talent develop out of that region in in Victoria and Australia. We're talking about one of the premier surfers in the world in Jack Robinson, who had an opportunity to capitalize on the first place spot that he's been holding since Pipeline and now loses it to Joao Xianca, given it's only a couple hundred points that he's losing mm. out to Joao in, in terms of the, the lead of the rankings. But that's still the lead. Mentally mm. going into home, that would have been the best thing for him. What about you, Dave? What's your first one? Well, the, I, just before we get to my first one, I think that's such a great pick. And, you know, everyone always says... You know, Bell's Beach, it, it, it is psychologically taxing. You know, they say, you know, this is you get four seasons in a single day down in Victoria. And, you know, there's tide, there's wind, there's swell direction, there's different venues. And for someone like Jack, who has really proven himself over the last 18 to 24 months yeah. is arguably like the sharpest psychological surfer on tour. It is surprising that he bowed out earlier uh, than he thought, but you know, who knows that might be a little bit of a silver lining where he can fly a little bit under the radar going to home, as opposed to having to wear the brunt of the media responsibilities and all the attention is the front runner, but we'll see. I love the pick though. Um, my first uh, loser is not going to be too surprising. I've actually gotten a ton of comments about me going back to the well on this throughout our podcast. But La Nina is my first loser. <laughs> it's gross. It's been a perpetual villain for me this season, both uh, personally and professionally. Yep. Um, you know, and I think it's worth highlighting, um, though, because there have been a few comments about, well, guys, can't you extend windows or are you holding events at the right time of year? And I do think it's good to address that because... Um, you know, it's good to reiterate, like the WSL's business is the world's best surfing. That's that's what we strive to deliver. And, you know, do we always get it right? No, I don't think so. But that's always the intent. And, and as part of that, the, the philosophy that Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew laid down of world's best surfers, world's best waves is, is a key element in designing our tours. Of course, you know, that element, it's balanced alongside audience and commercial and media interests, as well as government support. And, and a few other things. Um, but to that end, though, I, I think the CT calendar and the CS calendar that we have in place is designed to take maximum advantage of the best waves in the best wave seasons uh, for those venues. And um, I do believe, you know, our tours and competition team, as well as their collaboration with global surf forecasters, that they've got it right. Um, you know, of course, just because you plan for it to be right doesn't always make it so when it comes to Mother Nature. Um, and, you know, with abnormal weather seasons like the one we've had in 2023, it's been challenging. Um, that said, I, it, we were talking about before the podcast, it does feel like we're breaking a little bit out of whatever seasonal cycle we've been in, even over the last week. Um, so we'll see what uh, what's to come of that. But yeah, as far as losers go, I'm going to stick with La Nina is uh, my first loser for, for, for this one. It's a good pick. And, you know, luckily for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, we can definitely feel spring coming around the corner. It's getting a lot warmer. The waves are coming now from the south, so we should be having something good soon. My number four pick, um, 
maybe not surprising, but what is surprising is that you haven't heard his name a lot more over the first four events of the season. It's Italo. And he mm. loses in the round of 32. This is a former champion, the last goofy footer to win this event at the Rip Girl Pro Bills Beach in 2018. Defeats mm. McFanning. I remember when we were doing the Spanish broadcast, that was my second event calling the actual Spanish broadcast. And, you know, McFanning, my favorite surfer of all time, ends up losing his retirement party to this up-and-coming Brazilian who ends up winning the world championship the next year and pumping Bell's Beach. That's why, to me, this is so surprising. I don't want to say he's been on a decline or a downfall, but he's lacking consistency, Dave. And we're seeing Mm -hmm. the former runner-up of the world, the former world champion of the world, not be able to get that in the first four events. It's a great pick. And I almost had him as well as John John and Gabriel as as one of my picks too. I didn't I left them off. I mean, John's at seventh, you know, Gabriel's at eleventh, you know, Italo, where's he? He's at seventeenth. Mm-hmm. These are world champions. These are world beaters, and they just haven't yet had like a huge breakout result. Still early in the season, but but I've been surprised as well. Um, but I think it's a great pick. Um, my uh, my second loser coming out of the the Rip Curl Pro Bell's Beach um, is not so much a loser as opposed to like a lookout. But but heading into the final event of the year before midseason relegation, we have nine surfers currently below the cut line who have won. CT events in the past. Of course, there's more surfers below the cut line, but nine of them are CT winners. On the women's side, you've got Brisa Hennessy, Sally Fitzgibbons, Courtney Conlog, Lakey Peterson, and the injured Joanne DeFay. And on the men's side, you've got Miguel Pupo, Kelly Slater, Baron Mamiya, and the injured Jadson Andre. Now, why does this matter beyond the obvious? Well, <clears throat> To, to crib a line from the immortal 1988 film Young Guns, uh, <laughs> the character of Charlie Bowder says, regulators we regulate any stealing of his property and we're damn good too but you can't be any geek off the street you've got to be handy with the steel if you know what i mean earn your keep my point is if you've won a ct event before which let's face it it's incredibly rare to even make the ct let alone win one once you're there you aren't just any geek off the street and that means that these hitters are going to contribute to an absolute assassin's ball in WA. It is going to be something to watch. And if you're anywhere near the relegation line, look out. I like it. And I love that you're bringing Western talk into this, too. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, the original trilogy, uh, the original Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, my, my personal favorite. But talking about Westerns, you got to be able to put up or shut up. And I think that's what happened here at Bell's Beach. There were a lot of people going into this event thinking, okay, mid-year cut, I'm able to do this. And actually, that's actually my third loser are the mid-tier surfers. These people mm. did not step up to what they needed to do. And I think there are several people such as Seth Moniz was not able to get a mm. good result, even on the women's side too. And these people that are either just below the relegation line or just above it, they really need to get get a good result here at Margaret River in order to keep their spot on tour. I want to give props to Matt McGillivray because mm. he has just been flying under the radar, gets a good result here at Bells Beach, and he has been quiet as a moth. Just flying around, getting good results, and surfing super well too. But that's what it takes. You can't be going out and saying, okay, like this is my year. I'm eventually going right. to win an event. Put up these performances in any kind of conditions, and that's what... I think a big thing about Bells is it's a test. You need to be Mm. able to be adaptable at this event. Surf Winky Pop, Bells, the bowl, it's big, stormy, or it's going to be cleaning glassy like it was on the first day. Next thing you know, it's fun in the morning on finals day. It is horrible in the final. Ethan (laughs) Ewing really had to manufacture two scores in the final to get the win, Dave. I I love it. Um, My my third loser coming out of Bells Beach, is frankly probably anyone who still fundamentally and exclusively advocates for surfing very, very short shortboards in places like Bells. Now, look, I'm not one to say they don't work. There are great surfers that can absolutely make them work. But I think the consistent thing we saw from the surfers was that longer the better. And perhaps that wasn't any more apparent than when Elder Gods, Tom Curran and Mark Ocalupo paddled out for their heritage sheet. Tom was riding a 6'3 Black Beauty from Channel Islands. Aki was on a 6'3 Raging Bull from JS. And 
both of them navigated the lineup and the transitions through the Bells Bowl maybe better than most of the current CT field. You know, Tom's opening wave was just so well read, just styled all the way to the inside in difficult conditions. The guy is 58 years old and he looks yeah. incredible. And, you know, Aki, you know, he admitted <clears throat> that his 6'3 Raging Bulls, uh, Raging Bull, excuse me, had channels on it inspired by uh, Newcastle icon Matt Hoy and that those channels actually caused him to spin out on an earlier wave in sort of junkier conditions. But he eventually found a clean wall, tore off the bottom in, you know, classic Aki bottom turn and just smashed an overhead section with what I would consider still elite level power. Like if that turn was done on the CT, you wouldn't blink twice and be like, oh, it's a CT surfer. Aki is 56. Tom is 58. The shit was wild. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, just an excellent argument that at waves like Bells, you and I've talked about it at waves like Sunset Beach, uh, size matters. So don't be scared of it. Uh, that's an excellent point, and I love that you brought it up. But first things first, hashtag goofies because Aki went out, dropped an eight-point ride. How was that bottom turn that he had on that one wave? It was just pristine. It brought me to tears. Like I thought I was seeing him, you know, in his thirties. And given that I'm only in my late twenties, but I, I seriously was so inspired just watching that. And Props to Tom, too. He surfed a great heat, dropped 11, 12 points. It wasn't enough to beat Ock, though, in those kind of conditions. But um, it's it's a good point that you bring up with boards because my number two loser is actually Sar Sharp Eye Surfboards team. Mm. Talking about a team that has, I want to say, at least a dozen surfers, men's and women's combined, they had dominated the field mm. after Portugal. And next thing you know, DHT is slowly creeping up behind them Sharp by Surfboards only had two people in the quarterfinals of better. That was Felipe Toledo, men's semifinalist, and Tatiana Weston Webb in the women's quarterfinal. So for a team that's stacked and a team that is in danger of being eliminated from the championship tour as well, when you see the cut line, this is going to get really interesting going to the back end of the year, Dave. I'm really looking forward to it. I love it. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that a little more in our uh, Visla CT Shaper Ranking segment. Um, you know, switching gears a little bit to to the winners coming out of uh, the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. You know, um, we've touched on it a little bit already, but I'm saying Australia, just the country, as my my first big winner. You know, for a country that was so dominant for so long in professional surfing, they've had some some lean years um, recently, mostly on the men's side. Um, and as you know, Mick Fanning was on the podcast last week and he brought it up and um, all the finalists, Ethan, Ryan, Tyler and Molly are from the lucky country. And that is the first time that that's happened, that all the finalists are from Australia since 2014 on the men's side with Mick Fanning besting Taj Burrow in the final and 2012 on the women's side when Sally Fitzgibbons took out Stephanie Gilmore. And the last time all four finalists were Australian, 1993. 30 years ago, when Damian Hardman beat Barton Lynch in the men's final and Pauline Menser beat Wendy Boita in the women's final. And Wendy is actually from South Africa, but she changed the citizenship, so it was Australian at the time. So my point is, big deal for Australia. Big winner coming out of Bells Beach. You know, additionally, three of the four finalists in this year's event were riding boards built by Australian Darren Hanley, which again, we're going to talk a little bit more about in the Visla CT Shaper rankings. But uh Good job, Australia. Well done at Bells Beach. And uh, we'll see if you can keep it up in Margaret River. So I had them further up in my winners, but I'm just going to keep the ball rolling after your conversation because I think it's true. Australian surfing is one of my winners. All four finalists from Australia. Many of the quarterfinalists are better. We're also from Australia. Jackson Baker getting his best result out of the season. You see people like Sally Fitzgibbons mm. that she stepped up quite a bit too. She didn't do as well enough, but she did mm. well in the heats that she surfed. And Stephanie Gilmore getting her best result of the season. Lane Beachley was on the broadcast for half a heat. She spoke about her passion and how she's kind of inspired them and helped train a lot of these athletes that are on the championship tour now and the future generations to come. Surfing Australia invests so much money into their potential CT surfers and people that are going to be on the challengers and the QS. It's incredible, Dave, the system that they have down there. I really wish we get to see that more here in the, in the North American countries, because I think there's a lot of potential. And if you see, we do have a lot of American surfers on tour still, 
But the issue mm. is they're not getting the same kind of attention that surfers in Australia are. So, I mean, let's bring that up. I think we have enough talent over here and we have enough talent on tour that they could remain there permanently. I mean, look at Kelly. He's had 11 world titles. There needs to be somebody like him to take up that mantle now. It's a good point. And I wonder, too, like, you know, Kelly, we're going to get to it, too, but he has sailed so far beyond the horizon of what humans can actually accomplish and has sort of singularly occupied the the space in American surfing for decades at this point. I wonder if that has kind of delayed, you know, the same kind of infrastructure being set up in the U.S., as it's been in Australia, right? Mm. Where it's, of course, there's cultural elements to it, but I wonder if the motivation just wasn't really there in America because they're like, we got Kelly Slater. He's got 11 world titles. We're doing fine. You know, where in Australia, they're like, no, 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 we need to keep competing. And of course, again, the countries treat surfing very differently, but I, I'm with you, man. Like, I think there's so much talent in America and, and they are arguably uh, being 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 uh, left behind in a way without that kind of government support, without the 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 domestic tour support that you're seeing in places like Australia and Brazil. I, I love that one. Um, my uh, my next winner coming out of Bells. I know I, I did this uh, last time coming out of Portugal with Volcom, and this is not an attempt to spread the love around, but the results demand recognition and Billabong. Are, are one of my big winners from Bell's Beach. You know, rolling out their old school logos in celebration of 50 years as a company, Billabong not only saw the timeless Mark Ocalupo best Tom Curran in the Heritage Heat, uh, riding a channel bottom JS nonetheless, but also posted both men's finalists in Ryan Callanan and eventual winner Ethan Ewing, and also Isabella Nichols breaking through to the semifinals yep. to move up under the cut line into 10th position. So... I think it's worthy. I, th- I think Billabong are a worthy winner coming out of, of Bell's Beach. And a big congrats to, you know, Gordon Merchant, who is the founder of Billabong, but also, you know, Mark Weber, Evan Slater, Mike Wallace, Brad Lancaster, Ben Hope, Bo Edwards, and, and pit boss Chris Hefner. You know, it wasn't that long ago um, that this team had the likes of Joel Parkinson, Taj Burrow, Lane Beachley, Courtney Conlog, and the late great Andy Irons on their CT team, just to name a few. So, so for them to be able to rebuild and see some really important results, I, I think is worthy of commendation. So, so good job, Billabong. For real. That's a good call right there. And they did extremely well at this event. I expect them to continue that ball rolling too, because Bella Nichols is actually the defending champion over at Margaret River. Ethan Ewing made the semifinals there before. And Ryan Callanan had close to a 10-point ride a few years ago when it was pumping Margie's as well. Mm. My my next winner is actually, uh, it's kind of an emotional one. Um, he rode off into the sunset in terms of the highest level of professional competitive surfing. It's Owen Wright. And, mm. uh, you know, we really need to give credit where credit is due because this guy has done a lot for the sport. Um, 12 years on the championship tour, got, gets knocked off, but... How many wins did he have? How many perfect 10s? How many perfect heats? He's the only person in history that has had two perfect heats within the same event. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen a better surfer with priority than Owen Wright. Mm-hmm. His decision-making was always so good. He knew which waves to be on. He knew which waves not to go on. Uh, and I remember clearly 2018, the final against Gabe at Chopu. It was really small. He goes on the first wave of the set with 30 seconds to go. It was a smart decision because it was flat. He was in the lead, didn't need much. Next thing you know, Gabe turns it around because there's a better second wave right behind it. He gets the better of him the next year when it's pumping, though, turns the heat around in the last five minutes, takes out Gabe in that final. But his trilogy um, events with Kelly in 2011, they make the final in New York. They make the final in Tahiti. They make the final lowers. He gets one of those three victories. But we're talking about one of the greatest goofy footers of all time. And um, he really deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think he's going to be honored as well. It's such a good call. Um, I, I don't really have anything to add. I, I thought you <laughs> nailed it. I, I, I will say that I had the good fortune of being on tour when he was coming up. And, and I think the year was 2009. Um, and he got a few wild card spots and he was kind of coming up at a similar time as, you know, Jordy and Owen and Dane and Julian. There was a ton of excitement about their potential. Um, 
And a lot of them were getting sort of sponsor wildcards. So like Owen would get one into Bells. He'd get one into the search event in Portugal. Like Julian was riding for Quicksilver at the time. He'd get one into um, the Quicksilver Pro France. And because they are wildcards and because it was at that time in the sports history, they would all draw Kelly because Kelly was the number one <laughs> yeah. seed, you know. And they were all amazing surfers. But the thing that stood out to me about Owen, he was so unflinching in the face of Kelly Slater to the point that I think he was undefeated against Kelly as a wild card, mm -hmm. um, at bells and, and, in Portugal, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that says a lot about his psychology heading into the tour. It's not that, you know, Jordy and Dane and Julian and, and that generation were not up to, to, to the task, but they were great surfers who kind of, you could see them, especially when they were younger, get a little bit, a little bit frazzled. By, by the greatness yep. of someone like Kelly Slater. Owen was like, head down, like, it's my time, I'm going to win. And he did. And, and uh, he, he absolutely bridged the gap between, you know, your Tajes and Dingoes and Joels and Mix and the current generation of Australian males battling for world titles. Um, awesome, awesome dude, like, awesome family man. And, and I look forward to watching him surf some more. But, uh, yeah, emotional, emotional send-off. And kind of relates to my last winner coming out of uh, Bell's Beach. And, and that is uh, Bell's Beach itself as an event, you know, making it 60 years, which is kind of insane when you consider how surfing is always changing and evolving and progressing. But this is a timeless event, and it's a timeless wave, and it's it's still so respected by the world's best surfers. Even in a year when, like this, we didn't get great surf. It was mm -hmm. less than stellar. Thanks again, La Nina. <laughs> um, and, and I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but when I started at the then ASP in 2006, surfing was going through a really interesting phase in terms of performance progression. You know, we talked True. about it, but you had surfers like... Jordy and Dane and Adriano and Jadson and, and auteurs like Kai Neville and Logan Doolian propelling a, a free surfing evolution with, you know, fin free aerial based approaches, which was really radical to watch, but was actually early on pretty difficult for the then CT class to apply to a venue like Bell's. Um, and, and in truth, it felt like for a brief moment that Bells may have been at risk of losing its position on the championship tour. But, you know, attitudes and approaches from the world's best surfers ended up evolving, too. They, they incorporated that radical fin-free aerial surfing into their repertoires that also delivered on, you know, rail and power surfing, because that will never, ever go out of style. But, you know, surfing's like a pendulum. Sometimes it swings really far in one direction and something is sort of out of fashion. And then it, it sort of calibrates back into a better place where it's taking the best parts from these different approaches. Um, and that kind of contributed to this renaissance of, of respect and reverence from the CT class for a venue like Bell's. And, and frankly, you know, Rip Curl's stewardship of the event, um, it really went through the roof, you know, and, and flash forward to 2023, you've got two-time world champion Tyler Wright going back to back at Bell's mm -hmm. and North Stradbrook Islands, Ethan Ewing winning the same event that his, his late mom won 40 years prior. Um, so yeah, I wish the waves were better for this year's event too, but Bell's always delivers in terms of story and feels for me personally. So yeah, that's, that's my final winner coming out of Bell's beach. Good pick. And I'm glad that you mentioned that it was subpar, but that's what Bell's presents because it could be either perfect all the way on the outside ring con bowl, just offshore winds, and you could just draw those lines in your imagination all day long, but you also have to be adaptable to it being as bad as it was either at Bell's or at Winky pop. And that's where my last winner, I, I want to mention the winners real quick, the champions of the event, both Ethan Ewing and Tyler Wright, very deserving of these wins. Mm. My last winner, I'm going to do two, though. They're the runner-ups, both Ryan Callanan mm. and Molly Picklin. Molly Picklin, by the way, still in the lead in the rankings, going to Margaret River. And if you recall, last season, she had maybe the best single turn I've ever seen by a female surfer in a jersey. Mm. It's awesome. A nine-point ride at Margaret River. I think she's going in with a lot of momentum. She's only 20 years old. It's scary. <laughs> People don't watch out. She's going to be number one in the seating going to the Rip Girl WSL Finals. Does it at home, too, at Bells, which is even more impressive, at our sponsors' event, too. So way to really step up and up the ante right there. 
Ryan Callanan, on the other hand, he was just outside the top 10. He moves up into mm. the top 10 now with this result. You could see how emotional he was when that horn sounded against John John in the semifinals. He was losing that heat. He was losing that heat, goes on a wave that had no potential whatsoever, has one section, delivers. Full mm. rotationary reverse on the backhand when the waves are not good at all, turns the heat, and now John John's in trouble. A wave never comes through. Clutch performances like that could potentially get him into the Rip Girl WSL Finals with the WSL Final 5 qualification. I think he's a top 10 surfer. I think he always has been. He's just lacked consistency when it matters. Mm. I think when it comes to the cut line, this was the most important result. The most important think, result of the event. Like I think it's su- such a good call. He makes it <clears> such a good call. Absolutely. And I think your notes on Molly are dead on. She is so incredibly polished, even even just speaking with her for how young she is. Mm-hmm. And totally agree with you on Ryan. Like I'd actually go a, a, a step further and say, I actually think he's a, a title contender and a top for five sure. talent. And I think he's been for a while. Mm-hmm. But your point about the heat with John and he came in and he was so emotional. I, I don't I haven't spoken to him since then. I don't know what exactly that was about. But part of me believes that it was just this psychological release for him. Yes. Because he's always had that talent. But it's like, man, before that heat, 10 times out of 10 times, whether it's Gabe or Julian or John or any of these kind of like alpha predators on the tour. <laughs> Like it would just, the ball would bounce in the other direction. I think if that happens enough time, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You go like, yeah, this is my role. I'm a, I'm a tier two surfer, whatever it is. Right. He is not, he is a tier one surfer. And like being able to deliver that in those conditions against someone like John, I hope that just fills him with confidence moving forward. He's such a great guy out of the water. He's such an amazing surfer in the water. I'm psyched. I I can't wait to see how his season unfolds. Um, That was winners and losers from the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, it is now time for the Visla CT Shaper Rankings. Uh, A reminder of how this works. We are ranking shapers and giving them points based off the performance of surfers riding their surfboards that finish in the quarterfinals or better. It is a combined rankings, men's and women's. The higher the surfer places, the more points that shaper receives. And we're going to track the Visla CT Shaper rankings from event one, which was pipeline, through event 10 at Tiopu and crown a winner before September's <clears throat> Rip Curl WSL Finals. So 
when the dust had settled on the Vistula CT Shaper rankings post Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach, Marcio Zuvi and the Sharp Eye team have retained their lead over the board builder field, but Darren Handley and the DHD crew made up massive ground at Bells Beach with a ton of finalists and semifinalists, um, made a significant points haul, bringing them to number two on the rankings, a scant 2,680 points shy of the current front runner in Sharp Eye. Rounding out the current top five are Mayhem in third, Channel Islands in fourth, and Pizel in fifth. Mitch, what were your thoughts on how the Visla CT Shaper rankings played out at Bells Beach? Well, this is good for surfing, first of all, because I think it really shows that um, regardless of the kind of equipment you're on, what brand, the board's working. So if you're a talented enough surfer, you can make anything work. And I think the performances of both John John Florence, uh, semifinalist on the men's side, and the women's champion, Tyler Wright, going back-to-back here at Bells Beach, really demonstrated that Pizel's work in any kind of conditions, whether pumping mm. surf or deteriorating surf like it was on finals day. On the other side, DHD stepped up to the plate right here. Isabella Nichols, Stephanie mm. Gilmore, also another semifinalist, Molly Picklem, a women's finalist right there, and the men's champion, Ethan Ewing, as well. So big props to them. They really stepped up to the plate, Dave. And it's good to see an Australian brand have some recognition right there, too, because I think that Darren Hanley's been an underrated shaper his whole career. Obviously, Mick Fanning was riding those boards for the majority of his career when he won all three world titles. So good to see them back up in number two. I love it. And, you know, we talked about this last time on the podcast, but before Bells, we had Hawaiian Seth Moniz posted a very heartfelt tribute to the Takoro Shaping family for building his boards for many, many years. And then he teased he'd be announcing where he'd be going very soon. And you and I speculated where that would be. You <laughs> said Sharp Eye, which I was skeptical of because they have the largest team on tour by a country mile. But you were right. And and I'm not saying it's bananas that you were right. I'm saying the whole thing strikes me as bananas. Um, and Mick Fanning and I, I know I'm referenced it already, but he brought it up on the podcast uh, last week as well. And and I was asking him, not not to be disrespectful, but like, was there a kind of lemming mentality around who had the hot hand with surfboards um, when he was competing on tour? And he said, absolutely. You know, he cited that when he was on tour, Channel Islands was so dominant yeah. with Kelly, Rob, Taylor, Bobby. Everyone was looking to get on those boards. And he then even went on to admit that <clears throat> Sharpie is currently in the driver's seat. And, and he himself actually tried one of uh, New Zealand's Billy Stairman's a few weeks back at D-Ball. And even though the board was way too small for him, he's like, man, it went really, really well. And I'm like, that tracks. That's what everyone's saying. So, yeah, Sharpie is still very much in the driver's seat. And uh, Mitch, good call on uh, where Seth was going to end up. Well, I mean, I think I didn't you know, necessarily think it was obvious, but I just think that uh, a lot of surfers are gravitating towards the fact that the highest seated surfers are getting results on those boards and they just want to replicate those kind of performances themselves. I think nowadays, though, you really just want to have a good relationship with their shaper. Seth had mm. that with Wade, but it just seems like he felt on a personal level without getting a win or these big results in the last year and a half, Dave, he just needed to have a change. That's perfectly fine. You know, sometimes you need change in your life. As long as it's not dramatic change, it'll probably elevate your game. I think the Channel Islands is on the resurgence, though. I just got a brand mm. new CI, um, Britt Merrick and Brent Power. I appreciate you guys very much. They gave me happy every day. Things lovely. Love it very much. But <laughs> Joao Shianka, current men's leader on a CI board. Jackson Baker made the quarterfinals. He's also on a CI board. They have Lakey Peterson on the women's side. I feel like they're getting a resurgence, first of all. But don't forget about Mayhem having quite a good amount of surfers on tour. Mm. I think that Pizel will have a sudden resurgence too, especially if mm. both John John and and Tyler Wright will be doing well in the latter part of the season. I also like their odds with the surfers on the QS and the challengers, such as Nolan Raposa. He's coming mm. up, and I think he has a good shot of qualifying within the next year or two. What happens now is that we need to be lo looking at the surfers that only ride for a, a shaper that has one surfer on tour, such as Sparrow mm. with right. uh, Callum Robson. He also rode DHDs, but really the mm. boys that he gets the most are, are Sparrows. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen with that going into the last event of Margaret River because it's now or never for some surfers. Right.
Well, and you made this point earlier too, post-relegation when both fields are reduced by a third, for any of those shapers that maybe have one or two surfers only, it may level the playing field a little bit post-relegation, right? Where some of those super teams who have, you know, double-digit team riders might might be reduced significantly and reducing the probability that they're going to get those results. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's a good point you made. You know, other kind of odds and ends, um, you know, through the 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 lens of the Visla CT Shaper rankings at Bells, we saw Kanoa Igarashi pull out an old uh, TNC uh, pang for, for the big day when he defeated Kelly Slater. Slater himself was riding uh, Wu Surfboard Shape out of Indonesia under his uh, Slater Designs label. How, and JS, oh, go on, no, hit me. How trippy is that, though? That, like, he's it's riding weird. a board that was shaped in Indo for bells. I'm just like, uh, that's just me, but I don't I don't know. Like, um, it's, it's, I mean, we, we could dedicate an entire segment. Maybe we can pull him on or Travely or someone because... His approach to building out a stable of shapers, of world-class shapers under Slater Designs has been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's done work with Daniel Thompson, Tomo Surfboards um, out of Australia, but then Dan Mann, Mankind Mm -hmm. out of San Diego, uh, Wu Surfboards out of Indonesia. He's done stuff with Weber, Takoro. He kind of... I, and, you know, more power to him in his position be like, yeah, I can work with anyone and I can bring them in and we can collab on these designs under this later designs label. And, and maybe we'll see more of that in the future. You know, another interesting thing uh, I noted from from Bells was JS, Jason Stevenson, yeah. one of the most celebrated high performance shapers of all time, is finally on the Visla CT shaper rankings board with uh, Ryan Callanan's runner up finish. And and JS has, has been virtually absent from the winner's dais in in recent seasons. Um, But he's bound to kind of reassert himself before too long. He's just too good a shaper. And there's so much talent on tour or talent coming up like a Cowley Vast um, who could be looking to join the the JS ranks. You know, his off-tour team, of course, is still elite. It's got Joel Parkinson, Jeremy Flores, Julian Wilson, Connor Coffin, Ace Buckin, Dusty Payne, Frederica Marias, and, and others still pushing for the tractors. But... It will be interesting to see if, if he takes up a little bit more share of voice on the CT and, and kind of rebuilds those ranks in the coming years. What, what do you think about the, the JS point there, Mitch? Well, first of all, I'm glad that you brought it up because I just can't believe that we haven't had a surfer make the quarterfinals on the JS before. So we have a mm. finalist on the men's side. That's Ryan Callanan. But there was a time where JS was the brand. I mean, Andy Irons, Bruce, Joel... Everybody was riding a JS. I remember when they were first coming out with um, a lot of boards for Ryan Callanan. Uh, mm. When I was thinner, I could have ridden some of his boards, you know, back in the day. And I was just looking at them and like, oh, okay, these boards are good. I remember my best friend Kalani used to have one of Joel's boards for Sunset Beach. He rode that to a final finish at a Pro Junior one time there. And it's cool to see kind of the core brands resurge back again because I feel like and I don't want to use the word mainstream, but there's been some mm. popularity or some deviance towards certain brands rather than others. I don't right. think that's completely ap- applicable because as I said before, I think there's so many good boards worldwide. And since many boards are shaped through a machine now, there's mm. a perfect design that you can make. Yes, you might want to finish it off in terms of uh, sanding or glassing a certain way, but not the actual shape. So the board is going to work if you're a good surfer. And it's cool to see JS back up and uh, back up on there, especially with the resurgence of Ryan Callanan and his final finish. Mm. It's a great point. And, and, and it's interesting, too. Like, I mean, we, we just <clears throat> rattled off like a few of those members of his current off-tour team. All those surfers, you know, Joel, Jeremy, Julian, Connor, Ace, Dusty, Federico, and others mm-hmm. were on tour yes. at one point, you know? And, yep. and I think... Going back to what you said before, it's so important, the surfer-shaper relationship that, you know, that maintains often when, you know, you you step away from the tour. And so they're still developing models with JS. Mm-hmm. They're still performing at a very high level with JS. Um, and that could, that, that could kind of create a pause in terms of, well, I still have all these, like, really talented team riders. I, I'm not investing immediately in surfers currently on tour because I'm still, I still have these relationships, but it's very cool to see Ryan, um, you know, holding the torch for JS, um, Ramsey Bukiem, you know, 
he's a JS team rider. Unfortunately, he's been injured all season, but I, I, I can't wait to see more of it moving forward. Um, that is it for, for, for this podcast segment on the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. We will certainly touch base in the next couple of weeks when the world's best are in Western Australia to see how the not only the world's best surfers are faring, but the world's best shapers as well. We're going to take uh, one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential, and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. Welcome back, everybody, to the lineup. I'm Mitch. That's Dave. Let's go into our last segment for today's episode, and that is our listeners' questions. And you can write us uh, anytime you want at the lineup pod. Don't worry if we don't respond immediately. We're probably busy. We'll do our best to respond in our DMs as we always do. Another quick reminder, too, we're not going to get to every question we get sent, so we will be selecting three questions throughout every episode. And then we'll do our best to get back to you through our Instagram. So let's start off with our first question, Dave. Um, this is at k.beachy asking for the Michiganders in the United States, of course. That's a state in the U.S., Michigan. Great Lake Surf Event, question mark. <laughs> okay. Uh <laughs> That's a tricky one. I, I have been to Lake Michigan. Um, I don't remember there being any waves when I was there. I think I was there in the summer. It, if I do recall what I've kind of watched and read about surfing there, it's it's a <clears throat> it's a wintertime spot. So most of the surfing I've seen there, it's like really thick wetsuits, hoods, gloves, booties. Um, not out of the question to have a surf event there, but I think with any of them at whatever level, like CT, CS, QS, you know, longboard, big wave um you, you want to guarantee a window for waves um if you can right and and in some places it's like it's either breaking or it's completely flat and if it's completely flat you can't run an, a contest and sometimes that's not like a seasonal thing right where you're like yeah we we planned it right in the middle of prime wave season and uh, it's dead flat i mean we're seeing this variants of this on the ct right we've been talking about all podcasts it's like yeah these events are planned in the very best time of year and sometimes it's not the very best conditions that does happen and then that scales down to places like lake michigan where it's like this is surfable maybe even contestable or it's not right um so i i'm not sure how predictable or consistent the the waves are at the on the great lakes um I'd be interested, though, like if any of our listeners had more information, hit us up at, at the lineup pod. But Mitch, what about you? Have you ever been to to that part of the country? And um, have you ever surfed there? I I haven't yet. Um, I'd love to go to Chicago or or that area, you know, Michigan or Milwaukee and Wisconsin, especially as a huge baseball fan. I want to go visit every every stadium that there is in Major League Baseball. Um, but my answer is no. Um, I think a, a day specialty event would be cool if there are waves. Mm. Um I actually surfed a couple of QS events. There was one guy he he'd always surf in the first round, like because he'd have no points or anything. But there's, I think he might have been a lawyer from Chicago. He surfed at the Great Lakes though, um, and he I remember he got into an event at Sunset. It was kind of big. I was a little worried <laughs> for him. Um, but at K. Beachy, uh, my answer is no. 
We appreciate you though. I really appreciate you for sending the question. Send us more what, questions. Was it? Wasn't 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 Chicken Joe from Surf's Up? He was from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, yes. right? That's a nice base. Yeah, like, it could happen for it's sure. Around there, it's around yeah. the area. But, I mean, that's a documentary if there's hey, ever been one. Pat O'Connell's from Chicago originally, so he, hey, now we're talking. Yeah. We should get Pat on the pod. Yeah. So actually, at K Beachy, if we do have Pat O'Connell, send us all three questions in, and we could that's definitely right. get you know a Midwest connection going on right there. Eddie Vedder, he's a Chicago guy, right? Eddie Vedder is too. I think he's from. I'm not probably fuck that up. Um, <laughs> maybe he's from Chicago. <laughs> Here, ask the next question. I'm going to look it up. Hey, he, he rips though. Eddie Vedder rips. Um, our second question at Norbel R. What are your thoughts on wild cards so far, especially Carlos Munoz? Ooh, good question, Dave. Oh, Carlos Munoz. Oh, just real quick to follow up. Uh, Eddie Vedder is from Evanston, Illinois. I think that's around there. It's, that's cool. it's I mean, Chicago right metropolitan area, right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Um, okay, back to back to the question. So, so at uh, Norbel R, thank you for the question, Carlos. Um, <clears throat> I think Carlos has been in a pretty difficult spot this year. You know, as a wild card or a replacement surfer, which mm-hmm. is what Carlos has been at, at Sunset Portugal and Bells. You come in as as the low seed. We, you know, we were talking about that before with you know Julian and Owen and Dane and Jordy, and you have to take on the heavies. So, you know, Carlos so far in 2023 has had three seventeenths, going down to you know, reigning world champion Felipe Toledo, um, previously former number one Jack Robinson, and yep. and you know top five contender Kylie Belly at at Pipeline, Sunset Beach, and Super Tubos respectively. And then he clocked a, a 33rd at Bells going down in the elimination round to Kelly Slater and Connor O'Leary. So, you know, for Carlos, he's, he's currently rated 30th on the CT heading into Margaret River. Not looking so good, I, I don't think, for Carlos, but anything is possible. We've seen it in the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. We've seen it on the CT rankings, right? Like there can be a ton of movement in one event. He has a huge uphill battle in, in, in Western Australia, but... I think anyone that makes the tour is is worthy of consideration. What about you, Mitch? What do you think about Carlos? It's a good question, and we appreciate it um, because I think these questions are the ones that uh, are very relevant uh, for the storylines that we have since last year just because of the mid-year cut. Like, wildcard performances are even much more impactful now because you lose early out in one event in the first five. That's already a throwaway for you. So you can't be doing that um, even as a high seed. So mm. at, at Norbelar, thank you. Um, I think this year they've been up and down. I don't want to say that they've been extremely impressive. And as you said, Carlos is a replacement surfer. He did qualify, um, busted out his shoulder last year when he surfed at Pipeline, the first event of the season. It just doesn't seem to me like he's completely bounced back, both physically and mentally. I'm a good friend mm. of his. Um, I traveled with him during doing the QS. You know, both Latin American. I don't see him making the cut first of all and i see him doing the challengers again i don't think he's gonna requalify for the championship tour though it just doesn't seem like mm-hmm. he's in that gear he doesn't have the same kind of drive and i'm not saying it in a disrespectful way whatsoever no of course he's yeah talented but i just think that the dogs the the d-a-w-g-s by the way not d-o-g-s we got some dogs up there on the cs right now there's some up-and-comers that are just <laughs> hungry to get there and i think the performances of xavier huxtable and of mm. morgan sibilic too at the rip crow pro bells beach were very impressive because first of all morgan sibilic was number five in the world in 2021 great, he served yeah. great in the opening round lost a close heat in the round of 32 but Bear and me almost came back and beat him in the in the opening round of competition. Then Xavier Huxtable is a wild card, but he actually had to win the trials to get into the main event. But mm. he made it worth it. I mean, he knocked out number yeah, one in the world, Jack Robinson. So absolutely, um, I don't want to say that they've been the best performances so far this season, but they've been good. So um, right. I think we're going to see better ones going down the line, and especially when the waves get better too. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, our third question, Dave. From at Smokey underscore Dawson underscore. This is going to be a, an interesting answer um, because the question is, it's up there. Hey, guys, do you think Kelly will make the cut? <laughs> I mean, I feel like feel like uh, producer Miguel should just like bleep out the next five minutes of discussion. 
for our own, um, you know, employment safety, but well, I'll take a run at it. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think, I think it was on one of our previous pods, Mitch, you and I, maybe it was after sunset. And I said something about him. I think he was rated 16th and, and how that was not a great place for him because it was not high enough to be safe and it was not low enough for him to kind of sail off into the sunset. And since then, you know, Portugal, Bell's Beach has happened. He has dropped to 26th. He is below the cut line. Now, how do I answer this? I, I, I think he's still arguably a performance threat anywhere, but particularly at places like Pipeline, Chopu, uh, Cloudbreak, should it return. Um, but elsewhere... I think we've seen him struggle in recent years and, and maybe that's injury based uh, after he got rolled out at bells, he said he'd been injured since bells last year. Um, so, so who knows? Um, but that said, I, I'll, I'll temper that answer with something that came up, you know, talking about Kelly with someone else the other day, and it was kind of a related topic. And, and I was telling them, you know, when I started uh, working here, it was 2005, 2006, Kelly Slater had already achieved more than most athletes in any sport. Um, and I was particularly aware of this because there were just endless conversations about how there was no model, like there was no figure in any other sport mm -hmm. or entertainment property or any other discipline which we could use as a case study when we were treating him like for, you know, marketing or PR or whatever it was. So it wasn't like we could go to him and be like, you need to do X, Y, and Z because you're, you know, in the same track as, as this person and that's what they did and that worked and they did this and that didn't work. So we're not going to do that. There's nothing like that. Like, like the point is he'd already at that point sailed beyond the horizon of human potential, you know, and that was before, he did what he did from like 26 to now. So that's a long way of me saying he, yes, he faces an uphill battle in, in terms of qualifying, but he's Kelly Slater. So if it is possible, it's definitely possible for him. Mm -hmm. um, it's not an answer. That's just how I really feel. What do you think, Mitch? What do you think about this? Well, the short answer, and I say this with the utmost of respect to the 11 time world champion. I mean, we're talking about potentially the greatest athlete of all times. I don't think he's going to make the midseason cut. He's behind it right now. Margaret River is not a good way for him. If it's at main break, if it's at the box, that's another thing. He, mm -hmm. he can perform well at the box, but it has to be every single heat that he's surfing over at the box. If he's going to surf at main break majority of heats, which he most likely will, it's going to be a tough mm -hmm. run for him. Right. I need to explain, though, that we're talking about somebody who isn't human, first of all. <laughs> he surfed against four at least four generations on the championship tour. He surfed against parents and now their kids. It's crazy. He's been on tour for 33 years. He had to battle against some of the greatest surfers of all time. Three-time world champion McFadding, three-time world champion Andy Irons, Tom Kern, Aki. Those guys were both in the heritage heat. They're in their late 50s. <laughs> Kelly is 51. He is still on the championship tour. And as you said... If the waves are pumping, he's probably going to del deliver good performances. And that also means that his motivation is higher, too. Mm. You think he's going to want to paddle out a two-foot Huntington Beach? He's probably saying, hell no. I got better things to do. I could go golf with my buddies. I'll text Tom Brady right now and be like, hey, you want to go to the golf course? Let's hit up some 18 holes. I he could join you and me on the podcast. He could. If he wanted to, I, I don't think we can afford him though in terms of the pricing. But um, we both we both do it for free. It's, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my point is that if he does make the midseason cut, his one goal and his one motivation going into 2024 is to make the Olympic Games in Paris. Mm, that's mm. really the only thing that he's holding on to. He wants to surf in Tahiti. He wanted to go to Tokyo, but he has a much better shot of getting a medal at Paris 2024, and we all know it. If Chopu's pumping, he's the guy mm. to beat, and he really is. He's going to be dangerous out there. I just don't think he has what it takes right now to make the cut with one event to go, dude. It's a good point, and, and as you're talking, and I, I co-sign everything you said, it, 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 he's been on the CT for, what, 33 years? Mm -hmm. He's never, ever fallen off. He has stepped yeah. away, but he has never been put in a position yes. where... He didn't have the performances or the results to continue on. We are seeing Western Australia will be 
the most unique experience from that respect, right? Where it's like, here's the greatest surfer, arguably the greatest athlete of all time with his back against the wall. He has all the, like, he, he's forgotten more than most world champions will ever learn about competitive surfing. Like that's, that's who he is. Right. Mm. And he could just be like a cornered animal where it's like, man, he could be amazing at main break just because he's digging so deep and viscerally wants to, to stay on tour. But also he could just come up against it and be like, I didn't have it, you know? Um, and, and, and the CT class took it from me, but let's, let's speculate a little bit. Like if he, if he does not make the cut, what are the options? He's certainly eligible for the the WSL wildcard based on his past performance. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, wait, wait. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, are you saying for the full year or for well, one event? Yeah, yeah. I mean, theoretically, any of us, you and I included, producer oh. Miguel, any of our listeners, are eligible for <laughs> the 2024 tours and competition wildcard. Often it's given to injured surfers because that's usually the most valid case, but anyone can apply. We could apply. Um, so theoretically, Kelly is eligible for that, right? And, and if you were given it, that basically the tours and competition office would say, okay, yeah, of course, you are the 11-time world champion based on the other candidates who have applied for this. You get it, right? And if that is the case, then he also has the opportunity to surf post-relegation in the back five events of this CT, which, as you pointed out, would help his campaign towards the Paris 2024 games. That's an option. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could say, no, I don't want that, but I do want to come back on tour. I'm going to go to the Challenger Series. Stranger things have happened. I mean, it's Magic May at Snapper Rocks. He's very, very good there. He might want to do that. Um, Like you, I kind of wouldn't expect he'd want to do all the challenger series events and kind of campaign to get onto the CT who knows. Um, or he could just say, look, like I I'm still injured. I'm going to take some time and think about it. Um, it's interesting. I don't know. What do you, what do you think in the event that he doesn't make the cut? What do you think he's going to do? Look, I think the best thing for him would just be to say, Hey, I'm done. I want to go enjoy my life. Free surfing. I have my brand. I have the surf ranch. I have a million other things going on in my life. I have a beautiful girlfriend that loves me. I love her. He He's done everything. Like, he, I, he doesn't, like, and I'm just saying this as somebody who's worked both professionally, competed professionally, and as a fan. You don't need validation of an Olympic mm. medal to, mm. to, like, no. You, I know you want it. I know you want it because you want to say that, that you did that. But I don't think that people are just going to say, hey, like, I value you way more because you went out and won a gold medal or silver or bronze. Like, I don't think that's true. You've done everything. No. You proved everything. Dude, you're, you've been the best surfer in the world for 30 plus years. Like, is that really what you're holding on to? Or is it just an underlying thing that, mm. okay, like, this is going to extend my career if I do it? So... Like, I think we just have to face the facts and say, like, hey, like, there's just better surfers than you right now that are willing to take it more seriously on the championship tour. And that's what happened with Jack Robinson. He is so focused right now that he doesn't want to lose sight of being number one in the world. So I just don't think Kelly has that one drive in him anymore. It's a really good point. Like, and I would even go a step further to say that, like, you know, Kelly Slater winning a CT event in Tahiti, which he has done multiple times. Mm -hmm clearly harder than winning olympic gold like i don't i, don't, I mean it's just the, sure. the field is radically harder 100%. right and I, and I get it it's a different thing it's a different little notch it's something new that he'd like to have in his thing but to your point it's like and if you don't compete in tahiti in 2024 and i hope he does because i'd like to see it it's okay man like like it's exactly. it, it wouldn't even rank in your top 100 performances no. frankly like it just wouldn't it wouldn't even come close but It'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see what he 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 decides to do. And I and I mean, look, it's 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 one of those things where he's been pretty vocal about. Yeah, maybe I should have stepped down in 2020 after I won pipe. But it's the same the same muscle in his brain that got him to win pipe is the same one that's like you can win another world title. Mm-hmm. You know, like so he can't he can't separate that. And I think a way to look at it is like if that's the bookend, like 2022 pipe winning pipe is the bookend on his 
phenomenal career and everything after that was just sort of a perhaps not signaled, not communicated kind of goodbye to her, even to himself. He might not have been aware of it. I'm totally okay with that. But yeah, either way, I'm, I'm excited to see him surf more. And first, we're going to get to see him surf in the Western Australia Margaret River Pro. Well, and, um, and, and I'm and excited let's, about it. Let's sell that too, because as, as part of the broadcast team, I don't think we've sold this enough. We could potentially be seeing his last event. And it's mm. it could be at Margaret River. So make sure to tune in. It's going to be amazing. Whether he surfs against world number one, whether he surfs against the lowest seed in the event, we're still talking about the greatest surfer of all time. So he deserves to go out on top, and he deserves to get his credit regardless of what he does. So um, it's like Rocky Ten, man. He's still got some. <laughs> he's still got some stuff in the basement. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, Mitch, this was a lot of fun, man. Uh, thank you to all of our partners. Thank you to Visla for the Visla CT Shaper rankings. And Mitch, we will talk very soon. I think we're going to talk during Margaret River. But uh, man, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And. Uh, yeah, let's let the season change so you and I can get some uh, surfing time in too. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it, Dave. Take care and uh, get waves, everybody. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Tyler Wright and Ethan Ewing for claiming the 2023 Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. And good luck to all CT surfers at the upcoming Western Australia Margaret River Pro, which opens its waiting period on April 20th and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, Kumeye, and the Wanenyo native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you soon. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.